0: Take your Bibles and go to Colossians chapter 2. We'll be in several different passages this morning. We'll be in Colossians 2 in just a few moments. Baptism is God's gift to His church. It's a gift to fill His people with joy, to powerfully and visibly communicate the gospel, and to build the faith and the unity of the Christian community. This practice, it's commanded by King Jesus. This isn't our idea because we have a sign out front that says Baptist Church. This is King Jesus' command. So we want to understand it well, to practice it well, to embrace all that the Bible teaches us that it means. To be encouraged in the way that God intends for us to be encouraged. One Christian confession from the mid-1600s speaks of baptism this way. Baptism calls to mind and keeps in our remembrance the great benefit of God performed to humankind. For we are all born in the pollution of sin and are the children of wrath. But God who is rich in mercy, does freely us from our sins by the blood of His Son, and in Him adopts us to be His own children, and by a holy covenant joins us to Himself. We're united with God through the Son by the work of the Spirit, and He enriches us with diverse gifts so that we might live a new life. This gospel picture reminds us that the gospel, the power of this new life, this new spiritual energy given to us by God changes everything about us. We're professing now in this picture, I am not my own. I'm a follower of my king. So this morning, I want us to be reminded of the significance of baptism and then examined just a few of the many facets as it portrays the beauty of the gospel. At the end of the sermon, we're going to see this gospel drama on display here right before us as we baptize two of our uh, men, Micah Vandeventer, he's a high school student, and Rob Kowalk, he is not a high school student. Why is baptism important? Why is baptism important? We'll touch on this just briefly. Baptism is an outward display of the inward reality in the life of a believer. It's an outward act, a demonstration of what's happened inside, of what God has done in our lives. It demonstrates that we're brought into a relationship with Christ by His initiating, amazing, supernatural grace. It also demonstrates we're being brought into a relationship with His people. As we're united to Christ, we're united with His people. We'll see that more as we move through the sermon. Baptism is the opportunity for the believer to go public with his faith and say, this is mine. This is what I believe. This is my King. He is my Lord and Savior. Certainly, believer's baptism does not save a person. We're not saying that this morning. Instead, it provides a vivid and living picture of what happened when we trusted Christ. So, a few of the things that baptism pictures. First, baptism pictures salvation through Jesus Christ alone. Let's look now at Colossians chapter 2. We're going to read several verses beginning in verse number 9. And Paul is going to give us two pictures. First one of circumcision. And again, he's talking of it in spiritual terms. And then of baptism, he's talking of it in spiritual terms. What God has accomplished through Christ in our hearts. So look down at verse 9. For in him, Jesus Christ, the whole fullness of deity, dwells bodily. He is God, Paul is saying. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. He is is Lord. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. That's explicit. You've been cleansed, set apart. By putting off the body of the flesh. By the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with Him in baptism. You died to sin. In which you were also raised with Him through faith. You can only have new life through faith, Paul says here. In the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. It's a supernatural, miraculous work that no man can take credit for, Paul is saying. Having forgiven us, all our trespasses. They're all done away with. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He can't just cancel it on a whim because he says so, because he's God. There's biblical, legal, spiritual justification for why he can cancel that debt. This he set aside, nailing it to his cross. Baptism proclaims that we've been forgiven by a holy and just God through faith in Jesus Christ alone. In baptism, we're seeing pictured the truth. We've been cleansed from all of our sins. This is a spiritual fact, a reality. It's our position because of Christ and we're to be reminded of it and live out who we've been made to be. When catechism asks, how are you admonished and assured by baptism that the one sacrifice of Christ upon the cross is of real advantage to you? Why does it matter? What is its significance this question is asking? And the answer provides that Christ appointed this external washing by his blood and spirit from all the pollution of my soul, that is from all my sins, as I am washed externally with water by which all the filthiness of the body is commonly washed away. He sang again in this answer this is a picture of all that Christ has accomplished in my heart. Remember what Peter wrote in 1 Peter 3.21. This water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. And he says, don't be deceived by that or don't be confused by that. Not the removal of dirt from the body. Not the practice of the ordinance. Not the outward thing that's being done. But instead what it symbolizes. And he tells us what that is. The pledge of a good conscience internally toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It pictures your faith in Him. A second picture is deliverance from judgment. We've just read 1 Peter 3, 21. This deliverance from judgment is not something we commonly think about when we think about baptism. But I want you to consider this. I think this is helping fill out the picture. It shows us again the miracle of salvation. First Peter 3 links the destruction of the world through the waters of the flood with God's judgment and says, baptism corresponds or pictures or is related to this. What does that mean? Just a few weeks ago, as we worked through that passage, we made this point. Water is often used in the Bible as a symbol of judgment on sin. So on one hand, judgment and yet salvation through that judgment. So think of those pictures. Certainly the flood in Noah's day is a clear picture of us, of of this. The sins of those who refused to believe Noah's message, they faced God's judgment on their refusal, on their sin. And yet those same waters rescued Noah as he trusted in God's means of salvation, which was the ark. Remember the Red Sea and both the judgment and salvation it provided to God's people and their enemies. Jesus uses this symbol to describe his coming death. He calls his coming death a baptism. He says in Luke 12, 50, I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. This is one of the pictures we're supposed to see and rejoice in. Jesus is saying his baptism is into the suffering of the cross, and that is the only way to provide salvation. The water, again, serves as both judgment and salvation. It's what the believer is picturing when he's being immersed into that water, when he's being immersed into the death of Christ. Do you see the picture The waters of baptism are a picture of God's just wrath against sin. It's not just that we're getting somebody wet, they're dying because sin requires death. The wrath that the Son of God endured for your sin and mine is being pictured here. Sin was so heinous. Your sin and mine was so evil. That God would put his own son to death to pay the penalty for that sin. That's how much it cost to be rid of it. Being submerged under the water pictures Jesus' submission to the death of the cross. When you see Micah and Rob later being placed under the water, let that remind you that no one can escape the just wrath of God towards sin unless they're found in him. Let it remind you what your sin cost your Savior. And remember that Christ exhausted that wrath of God aimed at every sinner so that there is no more wrath for you if you're in Him. What an incredible picture. Seeing God's judgment on sin pictured in this ordinance and knowing that Jesus suffered God's wrath in your place, what effect Should that have on the way that you choose to live even this week? The next picture is adoption into a new family. We know that salvation is a picture of adoption. Matthew 28, 19 in the Great Commission, Jesus says, go make disciples, baptizing them in or into the name of our triune God. This is a relational picture. It's a family picture. Now, one of the most meaningful things that I've come to understand about baptism is that it was not intended to focus solely on the believer's commitment to Christ. It's not just what the the Baptist candidate is saying to God. There's also a picture of what God is saying to us, to that believer, to his people, God's saying something profound and beautiful to his children in this picture. How do we know this? Well, first, consider who ordained this means of picturing your redemption. This is God's idea. And think of it. He's not giving us this picture because he needs some clear external sign of what's really happening in your heart. He knows our hearts better than we ever will. So, this isn't informing God of something we intend to say to him. Baptism is not just about our profession to God, it's also God's acknowledgement of us. One pastor rightly notes God is not thanking us at baptism for accepting him. He's not grateful for our profession of faith as though He's thankful to have such committed followers as we. He's no more impressed with our vows of unwavering faith than Jesus was with Peter's vow that he would die with him. When we declare our allegiance to God in this symbol and determine to follow him, we can picture him smiling and saying, what I want you to know by this sign is that I have made a commitment to you. And I will not fail you. Every time you fall, I will pick you up. I will be there. Every time you sin, I will remain as faithful as ever to my covenant as before. I will not ever give up on you or let you be snatched away. Our gracious God in this picture is speaking words of comfort and assurance. Because our faith in and of itself is never strong enough for us to hold on to God. It's always that our God is holding on to us. Faith is the means by which we see such a gracious and powerful and faithful God. Baptism is to be seen as an adoption ceremony. We're baptized into a new family name. Think again of that great commission that we just spoke of. Jesus says to baptize them in or into the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. One author notes, in his baptism, the baptized person is given a name, the name of the triune God. Baptism gives Christians their family name, the name they bear as those called the children of God. So one can rightly conclude, after Christ is baptized, All three members of the Trinity are present. And the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This was the forerunner for what our baptism says. When we see our two brothers be baptized, we can rightly hear God saying, this is my Son. And I am pleased with their desire to follow me. Next, this pictures our union with Christ. We heard this passage read, but I want to refer to just two verses that we've already read. Romans chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 3 and 4. You can turn there if you want briefly, or I'll just read and you can listen. Verse 3 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ, notice that union language, were baptized into His death, What happened to him is happening to us spiritually. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. None of us have ever been baptized physically. This is saying theologically, spiritually. God is viewing us as having died to sin. And he concludes in verse 4, just as Christ, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He's uniting us with him so that our lives may reflect his glory. So that we can be his and live for him. We're called to live a new and holy life as his people. Lastly, what's being pictured here is union with his body. We're not only united to Christ, we're also united to His people, His body, the church, this body, this grouping of believers. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into, we've been brought into one body. Galatians 3, 26 through 28, For in Christ Jesus Not of your own, not by anything you do. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. He's saying that to the Galatian believers. You all. And finally, in Ephesians 4, Paul writes, there is one body. And one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. We must care for one another because we share Christ in common. And this is why many churches, including ours, links baptism and church membership. As we are identified in him, we become identified with his people. So three concluding things to remember. We've talked about this several times before as we think of baptism. But first, rejoice with Micah and Rob in this display of the gospel. When a church family takes this seriously, we offer to our brothers and sisters who are coming for baptism the help and encouragement, and even assurance that what they are professing is real. That's why you're going to hear not just the candidate's testimony, but a member of our body testifying that they are seeing spiritual life in these two young men. God is calling us to encourage and support our brothers in Christ as they take this step of commitment. We get the joy and privilege of hearing and seeing how God has changed them into his own beloved children. So it's a celebration of the miracle of God's grace in their lives. And may we never see this miraculous display as ordinary or common. Second, remember God's saving grace in your own life. This ordinance of baptism is intended by God to feed and build our faith, to nurture it to comfort and assure us that God has redeemed us and loved us. If you're anything like me, still a sinner, you have sinned this past week. This picture says that's not the determining factor of your eternal reality. The final factor is God's grace to you in Christ. So the focus of this ordinance must be on what God has done and is doing in us and not on what we have, are, or will be doing for God. As you hear the testimonies and observe their baptism, rejoice in the salvation that Christ has offered that you can't deserve ever, that he offers to you freely. And be encouraged to follow him again. This is a statement that says he is is Lord and I will follow. Lastly, renew your own commitment to die to self and to live for Christ as we heard in Romans 6. Baptism demonstrates that a believer has placed his confidence in the person and work of Jesus Christ and they intend to follow him with God's people for the rest of their life. They're saying, I'm his. This is a one Time event. I want you to just think through for a moment the one time events in your life. There are not many of them. They're meant to be significant, they're meant to be something you reflect back on. John Calvin expresses this well baptism serves as our confession before men. Indeed, it is the mark by which we publicly profess that we wish to be reckoned or considered or be brought together with God's people, by which we testify and proclaim that we are worshiping the same God in one religion with all Christians, by which we openly and publicly affirm our faith. Thus, not only do our hearts breathe the praises of God, but also our tongues and all of our members. All of us are under the water all of our members of our body resound his praise in every way they can. Perhaps there are some this morning who do not know Christ as Savior. Can I encourage you to see this picture? Consider what it is that's happening and place your faith in him alone. Turn to him from your sin And from yourself. This church. This ordinance. No effort or work of your own. Can save you from God's just wrath. On your sin. But Christ can. He's more than willing. And completely able. To rescue you from your sin. And its consequences. And finally. Perhaps there are some in our church family this morning. That have never considered the significance. Of baptism for themselves. They've never been baptized Would you consider following Christ as he, your king, has ordained and laid out for you? It's meant to be an encouragement, an assurance, a blessing, not just for you, but for this body, and not just for today, but for the rest of your life. I pray that you won't give in to the fear of man and of publicly demonstrating what God has miraculously accomplished in your heart. My desire is that as a congregation we would understand and embrace the truth of God's word as he teaches us about baptism. That we would relish the beauty of this ordinance, this display of God's grace in the heart and life of believers. If you're interested in being baptized, please see me or Pastor Stephen or Pastor Jonathan. We'd love to talk to you about this. May God give us great joy as we celebrate the miracle of salvation as we consider these two men for baptism. Let's close with prayer. Our gracious God in heaven, we rejoice in your wisdom, in providing us with this picture, this tangible, this touchable. This ordinance that affects our senses that we can see and hear and feel. Lord, you're kind to communicate your love to us in this way. May we see this as part of your love for us. May you continue to grow and strengthen our faith in this. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for Micah and Rob, their desire to follow you, their willingness to stand before this body and share their testimonies. Certainly there are nerves involved in this, and yet we want to more than anything proclaim that we will follow Christ our King in whatever he calls us to do. So may you be honored even in this time of testimony now as we prepare to see these two men baptized. For your honor and glory, in Jesus' name, amen. To you, chapter 10, verse 38. It's a passage that talks about fearing God and not men. Jesus says, so everyone who acknowledges me... Before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Because we believe that baptism provides a believer with the privilege of being united with our church family, and in order for us to help provide encouragement and assurance to these two professing believers, we've asked them to share with us this morning their testimony of salvation, their commitment to follow Jesus Christ with their lives. And how he's working in their hearts. So I'm going to ask Micah to come first. We're going to hear a testimony from one of our members. And then I'm going to follow up with some questions with Micah. He'll go and get ready to be baptized. And then we'll start with Rob. All right? Micah.
1: This is Lord, and you believe that He died on the cross for your sins. You will be saved. And He asked me, "Do you believe that He died? And do you think do you confess that He's Lord?" And I said yes. And He said, "You are saved." And ever since then, I've never had any doubts or fears that if I died, I would I would be with Him. Um, one of the uh, Pastor Jim asked me to uh, share. Um, some of the fruits of the spirits and I chose, um, love, uh, at school. There is a, um, there's a, there's a guy that I don't, we don't always get along with. And, um, I don't agree with some of the things he does and he doesn't agree with some of the beliefs I have. And so every time I walk past the hallway as a Christian, I know we're supposed to love others. And, um, and I ask him every time. I try to ask him every time. How are you doing today? What's up? And uh, I never get a response. Sometimes I do. But as a Christian, I know we're supposed to love everyone. And I love him, even though we're not supposed to, even though we're not good friends or anything. So,
2: so I've known Mike almost my whole life. Um, We were nursery buddies back in K3, fighting over the same toys. I'm pretty sure Mrs. Nicely still remembers those days. Um, We've grown up together in elementary and high school, and for many years we're on the same basketball team. Mike and I have also spent time at the Wilds, in a book study, and more recently in New York together. With our history in mind, these are some ways I've seen Mike grow in recent years. He's sensitive to respond when he's convicted. Several times we've been in services at camp and Mike has asked me to join him in praying with his counselor. Micah isn't afraid to stand up for what he knows is right. Many times I've overheard Micah tell a group of guys that they shouldn't be talking or joking about a certain thing. A few men from our church and some guys from the youth group have been doing a Bible study the last few months. Micah is eager to learn and contribute to the conversation. In youth group, he isn't afraid to ask questions and when he doesn't understand a certain passage. While we were in New York, it was easy to see his love for others. We manned a prayer station and stood on the sidewalks praying with strangers. During our book study, he's mentioned guys from his public school that he knows are unsaved. These aren't necessarily friendly to Micah, but he shared with me why he goes out of his way to be kind to them. God has given him a unique opportunity at his school, and Micah isn't ashamed to share what he knows about Scripture. I'm so glad that Micah's taking this next step to follow the Lord. You can pray for him that he would grow in understanding the scripture and that he would continue to love the unsaved.
0: All right. A couple follow up questions. I think you're ready. All right. Micah, why did you need salvation?
1: Because I am a sinner and uh, he died for me.
0: Okay. And how does Jesus' death accomplish your salvation?
1: He died for us. So, um.
0: Yeah, good. Um, what must a person do to be saved from God's just wrath?
1: Uh, like I said in Romans 10, 910 um, you confess with your mouth mm-hmm. and believe that he is Lord.
0: Mm-hmm. That's good.
1: And believe he died on the cross.
0: And how has God changed your life? I know you mentioned a few other ways. Maybe one or two things that you would say are the main key things that you see.
1: I would probably say, you know, my um, interest in in church, and um, I would say that probably, um, probably more of like love loving others, loving unbelievers. Mm-hmm. It's good.
0: Mike, are you trusting in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins and for the fulfillment of His promises to you, even eternal life? Yes. Have you turned from your sins to follow Him? Yes. And do you promise, by God's help, to serve Him in the fellowship of the church, His body, for the rest of your life?
3: Some of you may be wondering uh, what I'm doing up here. I've been here for quite a while. Um, Aren't I a member here? What's going on? That kind of thing. Don't worry, I was confused too. You're in the right spot. Um, Let's start from the beginning. Hopefully I can shed some light on it. Um, One of my earliest memories uh, is actually a salvation conversation I had with my dad. I was probably four or five um, at the time. He spoke to me about hell, need for salvation. Obviously, I didn't want eternal punishment. So I prayed and asked Jesus to save me, but in reflecting on it, I I really only wanted to be saved from hell. Um, Throughout my teen years and into college, I struggled with doubts. I had doubts about whether I was saved. Had I done all the right things? Had I really been sincere with God? I had doubts uh, because of my sin, really. What do I do with my sin? I felt incredible guilt and shame over my sin. But I didn't truly repent of my sin. Repentance is turning from sin, not just asking for absolution or forgiveness. In retrospect, I I only really wanted removal of the guilt. I didn't didn't want to feel guilty anymore. I didn't actually want God to cleanse me of my sinful ways. I didn't want to stop sinning. I didn't hate my sin. Um, I also had doubts when reading the scripture. Uh, the psalmist says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. How is this true? That didn't make sense to me. It certainly wasn't true of me. I didn't love his law. It was, it was really an irritation to me. Um, I felt like it was boring. Um, I, I never really read his word on my own. Uh, I, try, I relied on preaching to be my weekly dose of the Bible. Uh, another passage probably f- very familiar to you is in Matthew where he says, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? That sounded like me. That sounded like what I would say. Would I be glad to see him or would I try to argue my way into heaven? Another passage in 1 John tells us that if we love God, we will keep his commandments. That made me extremely uncomfortable. Why didn't I keep his commandments? I prayed all the prayers. In the last year or so, I began reevaluating my life and some new experiences I had had. Um, the testimonies of the saints, uh, they, they now uh, resonated with me. Uh, it sounded familiar to me like my heart attitude toward God. I don't remem- necessarily remember the first such instance, but I remember one vividly from a couple of years ago. Um, I found that I suddenly cared whether I offended God or not. It was different from the guilt of sin. Sin's guilt was about how I felt. This was about how God felt about my sin. He recoils from sin. He describes it like a foul stench. I found that God's way was more attractive to me than my sinful ways. I found that I strangely had a desire to read the Word to get to know God. Um, I found when reading the Word that I had a joy in God, and that was new and refreshing. This was different from the way I used to read the Bible. I would read occasionally. I, I used to gravitate towards the narrative stories because they were interesting. Uh, I used to focus on what pleased me in the passage. Um, Psalm 37.4 is an excellent example. It says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I used to focus on the second half of the passage, uh, like a child wishing for an object of desire to consume on myself. What coin do I need to drop in the God box to get what I want? You know, delight yourself in God? Okay, now give me what I want. Um, I completely missed the beginning of the verse. I didn't understand that what it was saying was delight yourself in God, and he will give you what you delight in himself. But now I understand what it meant because the first part of the verse actually makes sense to me because I'm already doing it now. The word is foolishness to those who do not believe, And that's why I didn't understand it. I made the word about gratifying my own desires rather than God's. I didn't see him as the greatest treasure that could be offered to me. So when did that change happen? Um, Shorter answer is I don't know for sure. (laughs) The longer answer is uh, I didn't pray and ask God for salvation or anything like that. I I didn't follow the traditional Romans road, although I did read quite a bit in Romans, and I don't have time for that. Um... But this process is looking back at a changed life and trying to piece together what God is doing. Um, I, know I, was, I, I, I know I was saved sometime after college. I expect it was in the last five years or so. Uh, I can think of a specific conversation in life group. Uh, we had an excellent question and discussion that pointed me in the right direction toward the word uh, where I could submit to it. But that's the best I can guess. It's not really important or relevant to me other than to note that it was after my first baptism when I was about eight, um, which means that I really need to be baptized in obedience to God's sequence of commands. It says repent and be baptized. That's the order. What's important is that I'm trusting him now. What's important is that I'm exhibiting fruits in keeping with repentance now. So what truly happened? In summary, what changed? How did it change? The simple answer is that I submitted to the word. Not in an intellectual or philosophical way. Um, I believed in my heart because that's what God says accomplishes salvation. Paul tells us in Romans 10 that with the heart man believes unto salvation. In contrast, in James 2.19, it says that the devils believe that Jesus is God and tremble. It doesn't help them. They They possess the belief in their minds, but they don't possess the belief in their hearts that results in works in keeping with repentance. Judas was part of the group when Peter proclaimed, we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God in John six sixty nine, He knew exactly who Jesus was, but he didn't love him. In short, my heart's desires changed because of the surpassing worth of the one I desire.
4: Well, I think I can speak for all of us Uh, When I say that we love having Rob as a part of our body, um, I think probably many of you could stand up here and give a testimony um, to the faithfulness of God in Rob's life. Um, He's such an encouragement as we walk in. He's one of the first people to greet you. Um, The reason why I think most of you know him is because he introduced himself um, so it is. It is one of those things that, like I say, it's a it's 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 a privilege for me to stand here, and I think many of you could. But we, as a body, we recognize and affirm what God is doing and has done. Um, Jim had asked me to give a testimony to that fact, and uh, just in my um, relationship with Rob, and one of the first um, things that I think Rob and I really ever did. I mean, I knew him. I talked to him, obviously. Um, But uh, we were in a Bible study about three years ago. Um, Rob, uh, Ryan Martin, and uh, and myself went through the Sermon on the Mount, and we really looked at um, what it means to be a kingdom citizen um, and how that plays out in the world and how that plays out in the church, how that plays out in worship. Um, It's interesting. Rob quoted from that this morning um, at the end of uh, where where Jesus says, um, it's part of that sermon where Jesus says, um, Depart from me, I never knew you. Um, but after that, then um, Rob and I and uh, Ryan, and, and at that time I think it was Tyler Sprouse joined, but we were in a Bible study in Colossians. But what, one thing that I have seen over the last several years, and you can hear it in Rob's testimony, is his desire for the word and for that to grow him. And that is something that um, we as a body, I think, can see. Um, for those of us um, that have been in a discussion with him, we can see that he understands the word and that he's allowing it um, to influence his life. Um, and I see that as an evidence that Rob is a believer, that Rob is a new creation, because that is those are the people that allow the word to change them. Um, one other thing that I see is uh, an evidence of... Um, Uh, Rob's new life is, um, as as we um, are involved with people and um, we see things in them, sometimes as Christians, we have to to rebuke and reprove each other, and I've had that opportunity with Rob, and you know what? Those conversations don't always go very well, right? Like, they, they don't. Like, I mean, nobody likes to be told, like, okay, here's something that you need to work on, but Rob took it very well um he showed maturity in those conversations that i think is something that is spirit filled that is not natural um and so those that's another evidence that i see of god's working in rob um one thing um is the bible studies are continuing he continues to be in bible studies um and right now he's in one i believe with um some of the teen guys uh, and so it's encouraging to see some of these things um, carrying on, and Rob continuing to um, grow in this area. Um, I personally am thankful that this is the evidence that I see, right, Um, that God can work through his word. Um, As a believer, Rob um, has set out on an entire lifetime of sanctification, of looking at the word and allowing it to change his life. Um, I'm thankful that we... um, get to be on that journey together, right? As, as, as the word changes us, um, that um, we can speak in, use that word and speak into each other's life. And then we are then changed as well. Um, and we all are on this journey together. And as we have a baptism this morning, um, we are affirming as a body. Part, that's part of what we're doing. We're affirming as a body that this is a believer, That this is somebody that is following Christ. And I'm so thankful that uh, we're able to do that this morning.
0: Rob, what is sin and what must God do about it?
3: Well, he can't abide sin in his presence, so it has to be cast out of his presence.
0: And why did Jesus have to die for you? Well,
3: I can't make it into his presence on my own, so he had to pay the price for me. That's
0: good. What must a person do to be saved from God's wrath? Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth mm. that he is the Lord. Mm. And then what fruit of salvation is in your life, and what is God teaching you? How are you growing? How do you see spiritual fruit? I think uh, love for his people and
3: compassion for souls. Mm. I I really have that before. Mm. I, I had enemies and,
0: and then I had people who agreed with me. They were friends. <laughs> That's good. Rob, are you trusting in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins and for the fulfillment of his promises to you, even eternal life? Yes, sir. Have you turned from your sins to follow him? Yes. And do you promise by God's help to serve him in the fellowship of the church for the rest of your life? Yes, sir. All right. You're welcome to go join Micah. We're going to ask our musicians to come back and we'll sing a couple songs as Pastor Stephen and our baptism candidates prepare.
5: So... many months to come. So it is a privilege uh, to be together today to see God's work uh, bring us to this point. That's one of the kindnesses that, as an under-shepherd, we have. God, he doesn't have to, but he lets us see the work that he's doing in people's hearts. We're grateful for that. And just doing this. Okay, so, Micah, well, based on your the youth staff from the student staff. <laughs> <community>. <laughs> and Rob certainly fits that characterization. So we're grateful for Rob's ministry. He's been part of the middle school staff for the last couple of years. Um, I also have the privilege of being in the same life group as Rob, and um, as the rest of the life group can testify to, there has been many spirited discussions, uh, deep discussions from God's word. and So it is a joy to be together. today. God bring us to this point. Uh, Rob also was on a New York mission trip and seeing his love for the gospel, his heart for people to know Jesus Christ and to know the truth of God's word as he knows it um, was also a refreshment to my own soul personally. So we thank God for his work in our hearts to accomplish his purpose. So Rob, based on your profession of faith,